It's Monday, June 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Good to see you. Hey, now. The News Fairy came. Yes. The News Fairy showed up this morning. This was a big News Fairy. This is a <laughs> deal. I mean, this was. This was a big one. Yeah. This was Microsoft buying LinkedIn for $26.2 billion. It's a cash deal. This is the big, I believe this is the biggest buyout of an internet company ever. Certainly, um, seems plausible in terms of internet software. They, this is uh, a great day for LinkedIn shareholders who see a 50% premium being paid for their stock. So this we earlier in the year LinkedIn had that terrible drop, that terrible one day drop back in February, and this sort of puts it back up. I think it's one hundred ninety six dollars a share is the buyout price. So this basically puts LinkedIn not at the high, not at the all time high, but puts it back up to where it was before the drop. And of all the shareholders, Reed Hoffman, he's the founder, right? Um. Yeah, co-founder maybe co-founder. or founder, but um, I mean either way, he holds, I think, the majority voting rights of the company. Yes. Any which way you and cut. And if I'm it, doing so. the math correctly, and I like to think that I am, as of the most recent filing, he's got more than 14 million shares. So, Reed Hoffman is looking at about 2.8 billion dollars. Yeah. So I mean, good that's for a nice payday for him. Good for Reed. Um, when you first heard the news, what did you think? Um, so I, I mean, I, as, as any morning goes, I mean, I, I saw it on Twitter. And so you kind of, I mean, I, that was the first reaction was kind of like, wow. But I mean, I guess that's not terribly surprising. My first reaction was, um, I think this is a good thing for LinkedIn shareholders, honestly. I mean, I, I know that there are people out there that would probably disagree and, and wish that they could see this story keep playing out. I, I don't know that that necessarily, would be a good thing. I think there were a lot of questions we've we've had with LinkedIn recently. Um, we in, in million dollar portfolio, we own it still in million dollar portfolio. We sold a little bit of that position when it had hit two hundred and fifty dollars per share because we started looking at that valuation and thinking it 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 was detached from reality. I mean, LinkedIn's a good business, but but it was really bringing forward a lot of assumptions there that. It was basically assuming the best case scenario. So for me, I think that. To me, this speaks volumes that management accepted this offer. I mean, you think about it, this is about 40% below its all time high, which wasn't all that long ago. Um, I think that management looked at this and thought, well, the market opportunity perhaps is not as big, as robust as they thought, perhaps. I mean, the business to business sales and maybe the lynda.com thing um, were going to be, not that they couldn't monetize those, but I think there were going to be challenges. And um, and I think that for shareholders hoping to see those two fifty, two sixty, two hundred seventy dollars share prices again, that that was probably going to be a ways off, if ever. Um, so so this to me, I mean, it, it's great for LinkedIn shareholders. I mean, for Microsoft, I think they're looking at this and basically thinking, well, we have like one point two or one point three billion Microsoft Office users, so that's going to be a great distribution channel to work some of this LinkedIn product in there. I think that Lynda.com could really come into play there. I mean, I think that otherwise, Lynda.com, I don't know exactly how well LinkedIn on its own was going to be able to monetize that. But I think my biggest problem here is that a lot of the future value of this acquisition, based on what I've read from management, still hinges on LinkedIn engagement. And I think that they still have some of those engagement challenges with or without this acquisition 
um, that are not necessarily fully answered just by Microsoft buying the company. Like you, when I first saw the news, I, it was some version of wow just went yeah. through my head. Both in terms of the fact that the deal was being done at all, and the price. Yep. And I think when we see shares of Microsoft down a little bit today, I have to believe that at least a little bit of that is some shareholders saying that they think Microsoft may have paid a little bit too much. Now, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I but I I, I always think that whenever I see the acquiring company shares down a little bit and. To be fair, if you if you you know if you're a Microsoft shareholder, you're completely forgiven for looking at this deal and thinking, I think we could have gotten them for a little bit lower. I think they would have accepted 185 a share instead of 196 a share. Whatever. Regardless, I I don't put this in the same camp with other Microsoft acquisitions that we've seen in the past, and the main reason is because of the person who's overseeing this. Mm-hmm. I'm I I think. Satya Nadella deserves the benefit of the doubt on this one. I think if this were fairly or unfairly, if this were Steve Ballmer pulling the trigger on this, I would look at him and say, ah, "I'm looking at your track record on acquisitions, <laughs> yeah. and it's not the greatest." In the case of Nadella, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm, if I were a shareholder of Microsoft, I would absolutely be inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt on this. I think you have to, and I, I do certainly. I think um, we look at where LinkedIn was. Where it went and kind of where it is now, and I think this price that they're paying, that Microsoft's playing, implies about eight times sales, which isn't really out of the ordinary. I mean, looking at where the shares were a year ago, I mean, it, it, obviously the market was had greater greater expectations. So, I mean, I think they paid a fair price for a business that has established itself as the place to be. In professional networking, I mean, I think LinkedIn has done a good job in 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 making themselves really the premier destination for professionals to meet other professionals to try to grow their networks, um, give themselves better opportunities with in whatever you know profession they might want to pursue. So, I mean, I think I think LinkedIn has a lot going for it in in what it's done to date in establishing itself. As as really the leader in this sort of niche, I think that when you look at the when you look at the the presentation from from management there about how this will work, how this can work together, um, the one thing you see is where they talk about the the market opportunities for both companies separately and then combined, and they refer to this three hundred billion plus whatever number. And I would just urge investors who don't just look at that and take it at face value. I mean. LinkedIn has always been claiming this $115 billion market opportunity. And I mean, trailing 12 month sales are $3.2 billion. So, I mean, there's a big market opportunity out there. But again, I think it's easy to sort of throw a blanket over it. Um, it's, it's a different thing entirely to go ahead and monetize it to its fullest. And there are places where LinkedIn shines and does really well. And there are places where they, they really need to figure out what the strategy is. And I mean, I'll, I'll pick two out that I've really I've been very critical. Of the endorsement strategy with LinkedIn, and I'll continue to be critical. And I've said it before: I have people I don't know endorsing me for things I don't do. Now, this is not good at all, not even close. And so, they need to figure that out. They need to do something with that. And then I think the other problem that they have is when they took their publishing platform and went from sort of the influencers model 
to then opening that publishing platform to basically anyone. Um, I mean, they took something that was pretty special and a place where I could go read opinions and insights from from unique individuals in in the investing world and the business world. To now, I mean, anybody can publish on it. It's just like another medium, and so there's lost all real meaning there as well. And then I was reading an, an, another interesting article about someone saying basically the same thing: is they had seen engagement from the things that they were posting on that platform. Uh, engagement was dropping off substantially, and so I think those are two things where LinkedIn could certainly be a lot better. Again, I think they look at this with Microsoft and think there's so so many users out there of Office. That this will simply magnify their market opportunity by virtue of the fact they have more users that are using Office, perhaps. But I, I still think all of that all of that goes back to LinkedIn as a platform where people want to engage. And if they don't fix that problem, then I mean, bringing up any kind of sustainable engagement there is going to be really tough. And if that's tough, then I mean, how valuable is it really? You know. You know what other stock is moving up this morning? What's that? Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. Shares of Twitter Probably up seven percent this morning on uh, no other news than <laughs> the fact that LinkedIn got bought out at yeah, a hefty premium. I think that's all that is. And what do you think? You think Twitter's in play? Because it sure um, seems like it. I mean, it sounds like it always is in play. I think. Uh, I, I think. I mean, I, I really like Twitter as a user. I think it's been obviously a disappointing investment thus far. And I mean, I preface that by saying that I personally own shares and we own shares in a million dollar portfolio. I think that Twitter lost a lot of valuable time in the Costello years. I don't think Dick Costello was really what this business needed um, from the innovation side. I mean, he did a good job, I guess, taking them public and kind of keeping them relevant. But, but really, I, I think they lost a lot of valuable time because tech moves really fast. Uh, and I think I think with Twitter, it's probably there is probably there are folks out there that would like to have that as a part of their platform. I mean, I, I think Google's always the one that is mentioned. I, I personally would love to see Twitter kind of just make it on its own because I, I think it certainly can. I mean, there are a number of different ways uh, they can stay relevant and, and make money. And um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's oftentimes you'll see this. It's funny yeah, because all of these acquisition ideas we talk about, and really no one. I mean, there were no rumors or anybody ever really talking about LinkedIn as an acquisition, and then all of a sudden this morning, wham! It hits you, and you're like, "Wow, I didn't even realize that was." And apparently, they've been talking play. to each other since February. Yeah, so just goes to show when you hear all of the talk out there about potential acquisitions and targets and rumors, you got to take that stuff at face value. And and usually, when you hear those rumors like that, more often than not, they don't end up materializing. And and I mean, with an acquisition, you really want to think about why is that acquisition going to work, and why is that a good thing for shareholders? And I think for LinkedIn, this probably makes a lot of sense because I think going forward, they were going to have a a much tougher time uh, growing the business and being a part of something bigger like Microsoft is is certainly an opportunity that that could help. And same thing with Twitter. I think if they were acquired, that would be another way for them to kind of. Get from under the microscope, perhaps. Um, but you know, I, I, I'd, I'd love to see them be able to kind of keep on trying to find their way. I mean, that's the nice thing about business-focused investing, and you exercise patience, and you, you don't have to sit there and worry about the day-to-day minutia as much, as long as they're running the business, uh, not based on Wall Street's demands of the stock price. And I think LinkedIn did a good job of that. I think Twitter does a good job of that. I think Facebook does a good job of that. Uh, so those are encouraging. 
Speaking of Facebook, shares down 2.5% so far today on the news that Citroen Research, and in particular Andrew Left, who I believe is the guy heading up Citroen Research, came out and said that he is shorting shares of Facebook. And Andrew Left, I think the most recent short for him was Valiant Pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. That appears to have worked out for him pretty well. Here's what struck me, though, was... He came out and specifically said, "I'm not saying Facebook is a bad company. Right. This is this appears to be just based on valuation." And him saying, "Look, I just don't think a year from now they're going to be worth 330 billion dollars." Yeah. I feel like this is a really dangerous move on his <laughs> part because when you look at his track record, let's put Valiant Pharmaceuticals aside. It's a lot of his shorts over the past 10, 15 years. Have been highly shortable companies. Mm-hmm. They've been thinly traded, over-the-counter stocks, uh, many of which have ended up being investigated by one regulatory body or another. That is not the case here. I mean, it's one thing to look at Facebook and say, "I think it's a little richly valued." It's another thing to come out and say, "I'm I'm betting against them." Yeah, I. <sighs> I mean, I I've said it before. I mean, this is a valuation-based short, and I'm just generally not a fan of those to begin with. I mean, valuation is subjective. Everybody has their own opinion, and everybody can't be right. I mean, the market, as we say, is one big disagreement anyway. So, I mean, to me, when I consider what may look attractive as a short idea, I think you want to you want to go after kind of the low hanging fruit. I mean, there's a lot of it out there, um, and, and as he mentioned, I mean, he's not saying that Facebook is a bad company. I mean, I think he just thinks this is a company that is overvalued and probably has more challenges on the horizon than maybe the market would like to admit. Whether that's right or not, I mean, I think I think it's very difficult to look at a business like Facebook and say. Sure. I mean, I think the the Facebook platform itself, I mean, we've seen numbers that show they are having some engagement troubles there, and there is some weakness in some areas. Um, but when you have 1.3 billion users, I mean, you got to take weakness with a grain of salt, right? I mean, it's it's still a very relevant platform that a lot of people are using in some capacity, whether it's Facebook or Messenger or WhatsApp or Instagram. I mean, you think about the eyeballs that are are going to those properties on a daily basis, and you think, well, okay, this isn't a business that's in peril. So, I mean, I know he called out Snapchat as being like the new thing that's getting everybody's attention. I mean, I guess that's true to a, to an extent. I mean, I don't I don't use Snapchat. I really don't use Facebook. Um, you and I are not really the target for Snapchat. No, yeah, and that's well, and that's I guess that's a good question, right? I mean, because I, I know that we're not, and so then you have to ask yourself, how what what kind of staying power does Snapchat have? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand people use it as a as a communication platform, and it's and it's unique in, in the way it it functions. But I do wonder. I mean, I don't think there is the same market opportunity for people using Snapchat as there is for people using Instagram or Facebook. I mean, I think Snapchat strikes me as being far more attractive to the young, younger demographic. And I bet you that you could probably ruin Snapchat by just spreading some rumors out there that 
parents are flocking to Snapchat. I mean, if you said, hey, listen, parents are finding real value in Snapchat these days, and they just love it, and wow, oh wow, the parent demographic, now users 40 and older, oh, they're just flocking. Growth is 500%. I mean, all of a sudden, you'd see a lot of those kids flocking somewhere else, probably. So, I don't, I mean, I... Snapchat has a lot, I think, to prove in just sort of its sustainability and its real utility there. But um, I mean, I, I golly, yeah, I, I kind of look at what what did he say with Wayfair, right? I take take this guy with a grain of salt because it wasn't all that long ago. He was talking about Wayfair as a short back in August of last year. He said that his thesis, and I, I listened to this, I couldn't get past it. His thesis was this is the worst company, the most mispriced stock, and that the company could disappear and the world wouldn't care. I mean, this was like the Donald Trump of theses. It was just like the 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 just superlatives. It was the worst, most under most overpriced. And in fast forward to today, and Wayfair is right at the same price as the day he published that piece. Now, maybe at some point in the middle there, he publishes that piece, and Wayfair stock gets hit, and maybe he closes a short position out, and maybe he makes a few bucks. I mean, short sellers have it easy because no matter what, they can basically say they're right. Either they made money on their position and they were right, or not. The market's just not seeing what they see, and you know that's just how it goes. Well, we talk about this sometimes with buying stocks and and going long on a company. It's the same principle. Is and and the question is, is this the best idea you have? Right. And that's what struck me about what Andrew Left was saying. Was I just thought, wow, in the entire universe of public companies. You're looking for a short, and Facebook is the one you've settled on. That's the question that came to my mind first. I mean, I just, I, I, when you think about shorting a stock, I mean, that just does not seem like the most obvious idea out there. And I mean, again, he, he could probably walk out of this thing making a couple of bucks. I mean, he's he's a smart guy, obviously. I, I just, uh, yeah. I mean, if if it was going to be shorting, I, I think you just got to look for the lower hanging fruit. There are plenty of really really crappy businesses out there, Chris. And Facebook is not one of them. So I, I would just be I would be very uh hesitant to to throw a short on, on a company like that. Uh one housekeeping item before we uh wrap up with some stock market trivia. Uh I mentioned this the other day. We've got a, a digital pass to our recent Fool Fest event. Um you can check it out. Just go to digitalpass.fool.com slash foolery and yes, I will put that URL in the description of the podcast because that's just way too long. Um, but it's uh, all of the great sessions that we had at Fool Fest. Uh, five stocks for the next decade. David Gardner talking about the stocks on his watch list. Uh, presentations from Morgan Housel, Brian Hinman, Tim Hansen. Um, all told, twenty-seven stocks. So if you're looking for a watch list, if you're looking to instantly populate a watch list with ideas. Uh, you can check out the Digital Pass uh, at digitalpass.fool.com slash foolery. So, yesterday uh, was the Capital uh, Pride Festival, and The Motley Fool had a booth, and I was down there for part of it. And I saw your picture on Slack. Yeah, yeah. That was a uh, hot day out there. It was a hot day, it? and thank goodness we were underneath a tent. Yeah. You don't get as much of a breeze when you're in there, but you're not getting beaten down with the sun. So that that was good. But I want to give a shout out to um, James McLenathan, who's one of our editors at Fool.com. He put together a game for people coming up to the Motley Fool booth, and it was a stock market. It was stock market trivia and multiple choice, and you spin a wheel to get a category, and then you get a question based on the category. And you know, if you get it right, you can. 
you can win some fool swag. So uh, I just wanted to throw a couple of these at you. Just see how you do. He's trying to make me look like the no, fool. No, we did. We did. And, and for, for any listeners who are wondering, no, Jason has not seen these. I don't know what they are, and I'm willing to bet I will probably not do so hot. But All hey, right. anything can happen. Uh, under the category uh, Big Old Bear, how long was the longest bear market in history? And again, a bear market is when the stock market drops 20% or more. And it ends when the market recovers to its pre-drop level. Longest bear market in history is it seven months, twenty-one months, four years, or eight years? Four years, twenty-one months. Wow, that's See? it. To me, a great reminder that you, there are there's never a shortage of people calling for the next bear market, and they may be right. Yeah, but they just don't last that long. No, and maybe that. I mean, maybe there's something to that. I mean, you have a. Uh, I mean, anytime you have a sustained period where people are really getting it handed to them, I mean, there are going to be ways to to try to to try to recover from that more quickly. I mean, that's the incentive is to really get out there and recover from that. I mean, they. At the end of the day, those things are all kind of based on human behavior, and uh, I don't think people want to. Sit too long in a bear market if they don't have to. All right, one more. This is a, this is a bit more fun. Which celebrity supplies thirty thousand pounds of avocados to Chipotle Mexican Grill each year? James Franco, Justin Timberlake, Miley Cyrus, or Jason Mraz? Jason Mraz. Jason Mraz. I do know that. Uh, the he has like an avocado singer. farm or something like he that. He has an avocado yeah. farm. Very very. Smart guy there. He's diversified. I mean, avocados. That is a unique. Yes. And very. Uh, I don't. I mean, it, it. It is just a very. Those things. I was going to say don't grow on trees. <laughs> when in fact, I guess maybe they do. But, they actually do. Um, but yeah, I mean, they are very sensitive, and you got to be really. They they have a a time during the year. You can't just get them whenever. I mean, you we read through uh, Chipotle's problems when they run into avocado shortages. Yeah. I mean, people love avocados. Hey, I love guacamole. Man, if I can't go in there and get guacamole, Jason's I'll pay a smart whatever I dude. For it. He's he's got the music thing, but he's like, no, I've also got the uh, the increasingly lucrative avocado market. I like that. I think that's a guess for Motley Fool money. We need to try to fit. We need to get in touch with his people. Have his people get in touch with our people. Let's do a thing. Should we just do a bait and switch? And be like, we really want to talk about your next album, and then it's like, actually, hey, no, listen. we want to talk about the business of avocados. Sure. Thanks for being here. Yep. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.